Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm bringing you Max Ball, a principal analyst at Forrester and a strategic thinker who likes rolling up his sleeves and getting things done. He's a passionate CX evangelist who I've been friends with for many years and truly respect. I go to him for the latest and greatest technology recommendations and customer experience trends and so happy to bring his knowledge to you today. During the show, we talk about the difference between customer experience, customer care, customer service, and user experience, UX. They are not all the same. Likewise, we talk about trends that you need to be mindful of and do right, including chatbot, which has been rather slow in deployment, but starting to ramp up across many companies and has a big impact on how people feel about a brand and their likelihood to stay, recommend, etc. We also dive deep into artificial intelligence, AI, and how you can leverage AI to understand the voice of customer beyond surveys and improve contact center and agent efficiencies. Max shares a couple of AI platforms and solutions that you may want to look into, keeping in mind that this show is vendor agnostic. He also shares a small case study on the financial benefit of deploying AI and reducing customer friction. Before we get started, I have a request. Please share this episode with others who can benefit. Subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channels. Leave me a review. I read each one and I appreciate the feedback because that is a gift. And by the way, if you want to know the latest and greatest trends and upcoming podcasts before they release, sign up for my newsletter on doingcxright.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Max Ball. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Stacy. hello to you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I am so happy to have you. And we've been friends, I feel like, a very long time. And um, well, our universes keep keep coming together. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, I love it. Uh, well, let's start off with first. Who are you? What do you do professionally? Okay. Uh, I am Max Ball. I am now a industry analyst at Forrester focused on the contact center. Been here a little over a year, not very much. I, prior to that, 30 years, a lot more than 30 years, but I don't like to claim any longer than that, 30 years in the contact center industry, all on the vendor side, variety of roles, product marketing, product management, sales engineering, training, professional services, a variety of different companies. And why your passion around customer service and care and experiences? Why the passion? <sighs> Guilt. Um, I, I, early on in my career, I got involved with voice response systems. And one time I went to 
like a, you know, the haircut places where it's just a factory and you walk in and the person's there and you just, you get whoever's next available and you go sit down. And I had one of those and the, um, person cutting my hair, she, she just kind of had her little rap that she did, you know, hi, what do you do? You know, what do you do? And I like, oh, I work on voice response systems. She's like, I hate those things. And here I am getting my hair cut. I'm like, so I just, I know how much evil has been put into the world through bad voice response systems. And I know how good the tools can be and that it's the, the difference between a good customer experience and a bad customer experience is not nearly as far as you would think it is given the amount of bad customer experiences we have to live with. So I, I just really get excited at the possibility of making things better. I love that answer. And there's no reason for bad experiences. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I'm, I'm, there is, but it's all bad reasons. It's it's being overly <laughs> cost conscious and things like that. Yes. yes. And what's a fun fact that people who work with you and know you might not know about you? All right. Well, I'm going to refer to the poster behind me, which means most people who work with me know because there's a poster right behind me. But um, I, when I was in college, I actually even high school, I became a great big deadhead and I've been to like over a hundred Grateful Dead shows. I live in the Bay Area near San Francisco, so I didn't have to tour the country very often to follow them to get to that. They're, they play in the Bay Area all the time, but, um, or did. So that's, eh, I'll, I'll use that as my fun fact. Absolutely. So let's get into the heart of the show. I speak a lot, write a lot about customer experience is not the same thing as customer service. And you and I were having a conversation about this and it is very frustrating because people are using these words interchangeably. So let's start with your perspective. What's the difference? Yeah, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, don't get me started, but you've already got me started. So customer experience is a very specific domain within an enterprise. Customer experience owns typically, and obviously there's a million variations, but but what, and by normal definition, customer experience owns the um, customer surveys, customer feedback, customer journey. That's the things that typically that organization owns directly. That organization is also an influencer. You know, typically there is a CXO. There's often a C-suite person responsible for customer experience, but they have a very small staff and that staff is looking at surveys and such to, to get a pulse on the customers and to give feedback. They are then trying to influence customer service, absolutely, sales, marketing, the product itself. They're they're responsible for the absolute whole customer service writ large, you know, but the, the remit of what they own is much smaller and it is very rarely customer service in the contact center itself. That That's something they try to influence and they want to work with, but it's not the same organization. No. 
And I believe when you talk about the customer journey, I like to describe it as the whole journey, the whole experience of how people become aware, learn, buy, get, use, pay their bill and get help. That's the journey and it's proactive and it's cross team working together. Customer service where you get help is very typically reactive and a huge part of the customer journey. Because if everything else goes well, but when people can't get help and they're frustrated, it doesn't matter. The rest went well. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I won't. I won't go into Pecan's theory. We could do a whole nother and a whole nother round on that. Um, you know, and the other thing I've seen is a lot of this confusion is on the vendors. And I was a vendor. I I'm guilty of this. I we called our product CX. We were worse. We called our product CX, and what we meant by that was customer engagement. Find me the X in engagement, but that's that's what we did. The thing I'm finding now is. I've talked to some vendors who went start talking about doing things that are of interest, not to the contact center, but to this customer experience team. And they don't even realize they're different buyers. So they're so wrapped up in their bad terminology that they're now not even understanding the right sales process or who they need to be selling to, which is just a real disconnection from reality. It's It's... That's going to hurt them. There's some issue there. Well, I'll throw you one more uh, issue, opportunity, (laughs) is UX. UX, often I've seen an organization sit by themselves and they have such a huge impact on the customer experience. What's your thoughts on that? So, I, I... it, it should be embedded in everything. You know, it's interesting at Forrester, we have within the CX team, the me, there, there are two of us who are analysts specific to customer service. Within that team also is a design team. People who are just looking at product design and, you know, the web design and, and really every element of design and all the different things that go into it. It's It's so critical and it's so undervalued. You know, one of the one of the cool things, sorry, I'm going to go an extra minute here. One of the cool things about that perspective is one of the things we've come to very strongly believe, if you look at chatbot adoption, it is slow. It is not what you would expect. And when we really look into the why of that, technology's fine. Technology does what it needs to do. But there's so many chatbots out there that are poorly designed and they're not taking advantage. They're not giving people value. And, you know, I, I, I talked about my bad haircut. Um, it, it, it's the same thing can happen all over again. And once you've had a bad chatbot experience, it's not like the IVR where I'm going to call the agent. The only way I can is to put up with the IVR. If I want to go to an agent, I don't necessarily have to go to a chatbot usually. Maybe if they're only through some sort of digital channel, I have to go through one. But for the most part, I can get around it. So what ends up happening is people put it out there as poorly designed, as a bad experience. That's it. People never go back to it. Gosh, it can be such a pain point. When you're talking about chatbot, which we're going to dive into trends, 
chatbot is definitely a trend. More companies are adopting it. I believe that it can be good to give people the options. Some want to talk to a human 800 number if they can find it on the website. And others, <laughs> others want to not talk. They want to be literally be able to chat. In fact, today I called Apple. Actually, I chatted with Apple as a text messaging to set up a genius appointment, which was lovely. I didn't feel like getting on the call. So chat is definitely a trend. And it you're right, there isn't their adoption is slow. What can people who want to use chat technology learn? What's what's some best practices? You know, it's it's funny. I'm I'm in the throes of a report on exactly this topic. And when I started it, my premise that I was pitching to my boss was why Dumbbox might be a smart idea. And the idea was just, just you know, I, much of the design problem we see is, oh, AI, we're just going to do AI. We're, we're not going to need agents anymore. Everything's going to be solved. Just throw some AI at it. I was talking to somebody who said, yeah, it's, it, a few years ago, it was, I need two Hadoops. Get me some AI. And that's where you end up with a bad design because they try to boil the ocean and blah, blah, blah. And so the idea was to say, start simple and grow. When I did the calls, when I talked to people, what I found out was I talked to the three different companies who had really, really positive chatbot deployment experiences. All of them were in a crisis. One was an airline that had 20-hour hold times. You got to do something. And you're, go- you're not going to like try stuff and experiment and boil the ocean. Here's the two things. If we do this, we'll take a lot of calls out of the queue now. So what I found was... What I'm going to end up calling this is, you know, you need to have a crisis mindset when you roll out your chatbot because it's there's always the three or four or five things that if you if you chat the you know a these things fit for chat they have the right you know micro size and everything else b there's a ton of it so there's a big ROI and c I don't have to do some crazy backend connection to get the data to make it work. And I just, you know, I, I saw that over and over again. So it's kind of like, okay, that's the, to me, that's the path to success with a chatbot is figure out where there's pain, start small, and just keep growing and growing and growing, which is kind of obvious and simple, but it's still, people aren't doing it. I also have a recommendation is when you do implement a chatbot, people need to use the data And make sure if a common question is constantly asked and there's not an answer for it, it's an obvious opportunity to provide more self-service. So almost use the chatbot as a voice of customer channel. Absolutely. And, you know, every single vendor I talked to for that report said exactly that is, you know, you're, they, they all refuse to do long roadmaps of what we're going to do. They're like, no, we're going to do 90 days. You know, the number varies. We're going to do 90 days and we're going to do this couple intents. And then we're going to go look at what your customers are asking for. And then, you know, there's a couple of them that aren't going to be practical to do. So we won't do those, but then we're going to do the next one that's practical. And 
customers are going to drive customer and customer data are going should drive every chat implementation after the first three months. Just it should all be customer driven at that point. Mm-hmm. Now there, you may get to the point where customers need something that they don't know they need, and you start bringing that in. But that's it's a whole lot of steps down the path before you're there. So I would also say that while the technology chat can be very useful, it depends on the product because oftentimes when I use chat, it I need to get to a human and we can't replace humans with technology. It needs to enhance. And when you get to a human, sometimes that human can't answer that question. And so two pain points. One, the chatbot dialogue has to transfer over to the human. (laughs) So I don't have to repeat. Mm -hmm. And then if an agent has to transfer me because they don't have that expertise, oh my gosh, please transfer the dialogue again because I've been in situations I have to repeat. It's awful. I have a little sympathy for, I have no sympathy for from a chatbot, from an IVR to an agent. That is all within one domain that is all one straightforward. I don't have any empathy and it's absolutely wrong, but I do have sympathy for the problem of, oh, you got sent over to this team. This is a whole separate team. They're, you know, the, the, the corporate silos and everything else. Sympathy is the wrong word. It, and I understand the why. It, it doesn't make it okay. But I, I, at least that is a much harder problem. Boy, is it ridiculous to say, oh, I can't get my IVR to send information to the agent before the call. Seriously? But the, tra- the transfer at least is a harder problem, but it's equally inexcusable from a customer experience standpoint. Yes, very aggravating. What else is a trend besides chatbots and that technology? You know, I, I, there's several, but there's one that I'm I'm kind of obsessed with. So if you can ask me openly like that, I get to talk about it. It's another use for AI. One of the cool things about AI is it's just inserting itself all over the context center. There's there's just so many different places and use cases. And one of the things I see more and more of is people using AI to look at all the recordings that you have in the contact center. And the typical use case is you can make quality management so much better. Because if you think about a quality management, I'm doing, I always throw out 1% as a number and you can haggle, might be all a 3%, but not usually. You know, 1% of the calls, every call's recorded, 1% are actually listened to. The rest just sit there. Now, if you are randomly picking 1% of calls, you know, I'm going to base it on length or something, but that's all you know, you're really blind. What AI allows you to do is categorize the calls, understand what it is, maybe put some scoring in there, maybe there's a sense of sentiment. So now when you pick the call, you can be really intelligent about which calls to pick. You can also have a number of kind of macro inputs that you get. I'm still only listening to 1% of the calls, but it's the right 1% based on rules I get to make up. And I also have some overall trends of maybe customer sentiment or topics that are getting covered and things like that. 
It's a lot of really powerful input to the contact center, both managing itself and managing the agents better. But then there's this whole other use case, which is where I get really excited. And this gets, actually, we were talking earlier about the difference between CS and CX. I actually work with an analyst named Colleen Fazio, and she is a CX analyst responsible for voice of the customer. And I know people who work at Medallia. I've been in the contact center industry for time immemorial, and I was convinced I knew I knew that space cold. I knew everything about it. And she's been adjacent to the contact center forever. And, and we found that the number one word we said back and forth to each other was what? We just weren't speaking the same language. They're that different of domains. So um, we kind of finally aligned ourselves and understood that. And what she got really excited about was all, you know, customers are telling your company exactly what they think about you every day. Customer surveys, which is the number one tool that a CX team has, they suck, right? They're just not good. You know, you get crabby people and you don't get very many and fewer do it every day and you have to shorten them to get them to do anything. And they're just not a good way to measure a company. Well, now with AI, the, the same tools I'm using to make my agent management better, I can use that to understand what's going on in the context center. Where are there frictions in the customer journey? Where does the product break down, et cetera? Um, one really, and, you know, give that information to CX and CX can go drive change to the company, which is, they're supposed to what, which is what they are supposed to do. And it's just really interesting and exciting. If you want, I can, I, actually, I, I even have a specific example of where friction got taken away. Um, yes. And by the, the way, oh, sorry, by the way, do you think, are you permitted to give an opinion on what is the best AI platforms? Because we're on the show, techno, you know, uh, company agnostic. But if someone wanted to do this, where would they look? There's a variety of places to look. I, I think I'll keep my opinions of which ones I like better to myself somewhat because I'm 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 not as deep in the AI space. You know, if it was CCAS, I, I know those guys letter and verse. These I don't know as well. And I'd hate to give an impression and six months later go, oh, I shouldn't. I didn't realize okay. that. Um, but uh, there, there are three flavors and probably come up with more, but I'll talk about three. One is the the big CCAS vendors, the NICE, the Genesis, the whoever, they all have, they all supply AI. They may have an underlying engine that's not theirs, but they are building out AI solutions as part of their suite. So that's one place you can go to get it and get help with that. There are then um, a number of AI vendors who focus on conversational intelligence. So what I would do is I would just search conversational intelligence and, you know, the bigger players will have the more expensive ad buys and they'll show up on the top and you can also just see who shows up as the first list when you get past the ads. Those vendors are really, you know, they're the strongest and the most innovative there. And then there's the, um, you know, I can work with Google and I can work with IBM and I can work with uh, AWS or whoever that have tools just more generic context, or I'm sorry, AI mm -hmm. tools, and I can build my own team. You know, there's more work there. 
you need to have more data scientists with these other than with these other approaches. But if you've got the resources, that may be what fits your business best. Yeah. And what about your small companies, your mid-sized small companies with less budget than the big corporate giants? Are these still solutions for them? It's getting there. Um, okay. 10 contact center, no. But if I'm, you know, 50, 100 person contact center, it's getting to the point where you can do some pretty powerful things with a, you know, $10,000 deployment up front and then a, a monthly, eight, monthly, you know, transactional fee per instance, or they price them in different ways. But, you know, if, if, if you're a company that can stomach 10, 20K in upfront costs and a quarter of a person to manage it ongoing, then you should go talk to these guys. You can, you can do stuff with AI. It, it's, you know, a few yeah. years ago, it was half a million upfront, a million dollars in licensing and services, but it's way, way down. So I want to get into the case study you were mentioning. Can you give me the very shortened version of how AI reduced, Okay, here we go. made it a better, yeah. One, two, three, go. Look for silence. Silence is bad in a customer service call. Mapped silence to the topic of the conversation. Found the topic of conversation that had the most silence was e-signatures. This was a financial services company. So what they did was they dug into their e-signatures product it had really bad APIs. The process of doing an e-signature was so hard that the agents spent their whole time going like this and they couldn't talk. And they found a new vendor and they took that whole bit of friction out of the process. Oh, I like that. That is a great example. Thank you for that. So as we're getting to the end, last couple questions. One is about leadership. What's the best leadership advice you've received or given in your career? You know, I, I think it's the best leadership advice I've suffered through. I have kind of an odd skill set, and I'm not going to go through the minutiae of it or anything, but I, I don't fit classically as a product manager. I don't fit classically as a product marketing person. I, I um, uh, Some of my stuff fits it. I just, I don't have a traditional skill set. But in the product marketing domain and the product management domain, I've had times where I was very successfully contributing and making a difference. And then I've had bosses who wanted me to fit into a narrow definition of what that role was. And that makes sense for a call center agent, right? A call center agent answers the phone and solves specific problems. But there are a lot of roles where ambiguity in what the person does is really important. You need to manage to the skills of your people, not to a narrow definition of the role. Great advice. If I had a ton of CEOs, managers, leaders in my room, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? I don't know how directly we talked about this, but um, if you run your contact center as a cost center, at all strictly, you are doing your business a massive disservice. You need to understand the value that those customer interactions bring and the value that relationship building can bring when you do the customer experience right. It's back to my old bad haircut story. I keep coming back to that. I, you know, 
If you're too focused on cost containment, sticking them in the IVR, your customers are all going to want to shave your head. Whereas if you're treating them right, they're going to want to buy more stuff and build relationships. And from what you said earlier, there's an opportunity now to leverage technology to help with that, not replace the human element. Beautifully said. I can't add anything to that. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and finally, about you. If you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Max? I think, I think what I would want to tell younger Max is learn to get good at what you like. Because if you do things you like, you can find a way to make money doing those. I kind of accidentally did that. I did radio in college and, and stuff like that. And I got to the point where I was comfortable presenting and I didn't know that was a business skill. I didn't know that was a useful thing to have, but um, it ended up being, I honed skills that I liked just because it was interesting to me. And that ended up later when I, you know, I didn't know what a contact center was when I was 20 years old. And, you know, art. Surely my predecessor in my role at Forrester used to say, nobody growing up says, I want to work in the contact center industry. But there's a whole lot of people, once they get into it, they never leave because it's so fascinating and it's so interesting and there's so much to it. Um, so I didn't know that was out there. I think just trust, go build skills, mm -hmm. go build abilities and trust that you'll find a niche for that. Hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for being on my show and the gift of you. So much insight. We could go on and on. And thank you for having me on your show, which to that point, people want to connect with you. Where's the best place? Well, that's certainly a good, um, it's a podcast called CX Therapy. Probably easiest to find it through um, LinkedIn or, or Twitter. You can also just go to uh, YouTube and look for CX Therapy, although there's also a bicycle channel with a very similar name, so you might find that. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. And this, Stacey, this was so great. I really appreciate the time and, and the conversation. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.